Just uh, make sure you're awake, all right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. We'll continue to lift up Susan in our prayers and uh, support her. We're excited uh, about what God is going to do and how he's going to use her over the course of the um, next couple months. And I was encouraged just to hear that uh, little uh, testimony of, um, of uh, the opportunity to give the coat to the homeless man this morning. Um, that's a blessing. You know, uh, this week's sermon is in many ways a kind of a continuation of last week's sermon. And uh, every week before I uh, give the message, I always try to preach it to myself first. All right, because I figure I better not get up here and tell others what to do if I haven't applied it to my own life first. Last week was a doozy for me. Like, I don't know why, but God got a hold of my heart and, uh, and really challenged me to, to take God's word seriously. Last week's uh, message uh, it, uh, was from Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to continue on in Philippians uh, 3 this morning. But uh, the, the gist of it was, Paul says, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. Like just, he emphasizes that in a, in a few different ways. He says, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He says uh, in the passage, I consider it all lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And as I wrestled with that, I just, as I wrestled with that text and tried to apply it to my own life, I was just inspired to say, uh, I, I was just inspired to understand that there is so much more that God's calling me into to knowing him. Like just, just that I feel like I've just gotten the tip of the iceberg. And so the application for me has been to try to just be in more prayer with God throughout the day as I'm going about my daily things, driving in the car, sitting in, uh, going in the grocery store. So uh, whatever it is. And so that... I loved when Susan shared that example because I was just like, that's, that's what God's been trying to, to press in on me. So I was in the grocery store this past week and uh, going through, I had to buy something and uh, get to the day-old rack, right? Day-old rack has all the goodies and they're still good. They're only a day old, but they sell them for a discount. Cinnamon rolls, $1.99. Like, all right, get the cinnamon rolls. I'm on my way to the checkout line. I'm praying. God says, don't get the cinnamon rolls. I want the cinnamon rolls. Don't get the cinnamon rolls. So I go all the way back to the, sto- back, to the back of the store and I put the cinnamon rolls back. You know, just the little things. But then last night, I'm driving in the car to uh, come to church. And um, our next door neighbor, uh, probably Dawson's best friend, has been coming to youth group with Dawson and coming to the youth group. And uh, his parents aren't believers. In fact, his mom is hardcore atheist. And uh, so we've been praying for Devin all the time. And, uh, and I get that little tug in my heart 
not for uh, not getting cinnamon rolls this time, but to, 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 to ask Devin, Devin, where are you at? Like, what do you think about being a Christian? You think you're a Christian? And so I ask him uh, as we're driving into the church, and Devin says, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, what does that mean? And he explains it, and it's bam, right on. And I'm like, that's great. And Dawson's in the back. Uh, Dawson's in the back seat. Good job, Devin. That's awesome. And he's cheering him on. And uh, and I was just like, that was just so wonderful to me. It meant so much. And I just like, that is great. And and so in light of all of that, in light of last week's uh, message of knowing Jesus, this week's message is a continuation of that. And this week's message is basically a repeated phrase in the next paragraph in Philippians 3. So we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. And here's the repeated phrase. Press on. He says it twice here in these uh, three verses. Press on. And now I think that's a needed uh, message for us today because I'll admit there is just a general sense of weariness. Like we have been through so much and then the news, the bad news continues to bombard us. And I think that there is, and this is such a simple message, but I think it is something we need to hear from God today. God to speak to us and say, press on, press on. And it's a press on to knowing him. Because, there, because even with all the emotional difficulties and trials and, and things in our lives, uh, we need to hear that word uh, for us spiritually. Press on. How many people do we know that have, that have kind of slipped away from the firm grasp on God's love? That have fallen away and it might just we might see it in their church attendance, or we might just see it in the, in the way that they converse with us. The passion for the Lord is not there. And here is God's word, here is God's message for all of us today. Press on, because sometimes we need that. We need that little uh, kick in the pants. We need that little spark. Uh, one of my favorite things to do during the week is uh, I love to take a hike. I've got a f favorite hiking trail kind of near our house. And sometimes I'll take my dog, um, our dog Blake, and we'll go on this, on this hike. Uh, so sometimes I'll admit I'm out there and I'm going as fast as I can trying to get my exercise. And sometimes it's just kind of a leisurely stroll through the woods. Well, this week it started off as a leisurely stroll, but for some reason, as I'm going, I'm picking up the pace a little bit until Blake and I, Blake's our dog, until Blake and I see this hiker up above on the, uh, ahead of us on the trail. And this hiker has a dog as well. Now, anytime our dog sees another dog, he's ready to go. And he's running, and, and so he's pulling at me to the point where I'm like, geez, Blake, you're going to choke yourself. Like this, the, the collar is wrapping around. Ah! But uh, he's, he's motivated. He wants to run. And so I said, okay, let's catch up. And so we uh, start going at a pretty good pace until we catch up to the hiker. And, and then the hiker looks back, and she sees that there's someone coming on. And now all of a sudden, she's running. And I don't think it's out of fear. I think it's one of those things that you get the extra motivation, right? And all of a sudden, you want to 
go a little bit faster. You pick up the pace. You press on. And, uh, and all of us have experienced this. Like, I, re- uh, I remember when I ran uh, the LA Marathon, and uh, there was a couple people that came to cheer us on. And you'd hear a familiar voice in the crowd, Hey, I see you! Uh, keep going, you're doing good! And all of a sudden, you get that burst of energy. And it's not just an exercise, like we've experienced this in our lives, right? There's times where we've gotten discouraged, or we've just grown weary. And there's somebody out there that in one way or another reach, uh, shouts a word of encouragement, Hey, I see you! Keep going, press on! And that's God's word for us today. God is going to look upon us, and this is, and I, and I believe He wants to speak these words to you this morning. Hey, I see you. Uh, keep going. Press on. The passage that we're looking at, where God, uh, where where uh, these words "press on" are found, is Philippians three verses twelve through fourteen. Let's read these verses together. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Uh, we have communion today as well, so we're just covering three verses, but God's going uh, to uh, do a great work uh, here in these minutes that we have together. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or, or have already arrived at my goal, but I... here's. Here's press on number one, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. There's number two. I press on to the the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and just ask that he would speak to us. Father God, uh, we pray that as we gather here, as we turn our attention to your word, that you would come now and uh, be our teacher, be the proclaimer of truth, and that uh, these words would not just be my words or a words on, the, on a page, but they, that they would take on life and that these would be your words that would uh, breathe into our hearts and into our souls what we would need for today. And so, God, we pray that you would come and minister to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You watch any shows that start previously on, and then they give the name of the show. Previously on, and uh, then they'll give... Uh, little clips and highlights of the past episodes, right? Well, this past, this, uh, ver- these verses kind of start with a previously on, previously in uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, because Paul starts off by, uh, by saying, not that I have already obtained all this. What's the this he's referring to? Well, it's what we've already uh, made mention of. It's the idea that he's already said, I want to know Christ. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. And right there, that is a, a spark for us. Because Paul is just this great Christian example. And if Paul is able to say, 
I don't got it all together. I haven't obtained all this. I haven't arrived at my goal yet. Then that inspires us to take an introspective look at where we are at spiritually. See, I want to make four points about pressing on this morning. And point number one is this idea that we've got a ways to go. Point number one is that to press on, we start with a sober assessment of where we're at spiritually. A sober assessment. We take a, we take a little bit of time to look into our own lives and we recognize, you know, in terms of knowing Jesus, in terms of where we're at spiritually, we haven't arrived yet. We've, we haven't obtained it all. There, there's a ways to go. Verse 13, Paul says something. Uh, it, seems, it feels to me like he's trying to emphasize it a bit more. He says, brothers and sisters, like he's trying to get our attention. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And if that's true for Paul, then how much more true is that for our own lives? See, we have so much further that we can go in our relationship with God. And that points to kind of two sides of the same coin. That points, first of all, to our own sinfulness, that we have fallen far short. And then it also, in a sense, it, it points to the greatness of Jesus. But part of the reason we have so far to go is because we don't have it all together in our own lives and we fall short when we sin. But also, it is because Jesus is so great that there's no end to how much we can know him and, how, and, uh, and, the, and the greatness of who he is. Like if knowing Jesus, and speaking of Jesus' greatness, is like the ocean, what we have is a thimble full of salt water. There's just so much more. And so when we uh, take this sober assessment of our own lives, uh, we are looking in, and, and being inspired to say, I need to press on because there's so much more out there to, to, uh, to obtain, to take hold of. And, uh, and that's why we need to, every day, open up the Scriptures and pray and ask God to speak to us and show us what he would have for us that day to press on, to, to uh, take that, that sober assessment of where we're at that, that we might be able to say, uh, how can I continue to move forward uh, with Jesus? That's why I think it's valuable for us to have accountability in our lives, for people to, to be the truth tellers for us, to, for us to have someone to call out the truth even in our own lives, that, that we would recognize where we're falling short and saying, I need to press on here. And so that is point number one, a sober assessment. It comes from the idea that Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or already been made uh, perfect. And then the finish off verse 12, but... I press on to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of me. See, that leads us to point number two. Point number two uh, in terms of pressing on is that we keep a strong grasp of Jesus' grasp on us. <laughs> I love that. I, uh, we keep a strong grasp on Jesus' grasp on us. See, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus has taken hold of me. 
When we speak of our relationship with God, it's kind of like a person hanging over the edge of a cliff. And uh, FYI, we're the person hanging over the edge of the cliff. Like we're the one in trouble. And Jesus is the rescuer there that reaches out his hand. And, he, and what we have to do is reach up and take hold of his hand. But he's the one that takes the initiative. He's the one that grabs onto us and seeks to pull us into his care. I think this is so valuable for us if we are to take this word of pressing on because we recognize very quickly in the sober assessment that we don't have it all together. That we, are, we don't have the strength. That we, don't ha- we are not where we should be. And so, what it, so we oftentimes need to take a firm grasp of Jesus' grasp upon us. That it is His strength that we rely on. It is His care, His protection, His love. In fact, Jesus describes His children as those that are within His hand, within His care. John 10, verses 28 and 29, No one will snatch them, speaking of His, uh, uh, of his people, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. And that's where we are if we have trusted in Jesus. If we are his children. You need to know that this morning that you are in Jesus' hand. That you're in the Father's hand and no one can take you out of God's love. And so this morning we come, and this is the word, press on, and we recognize we have fallen short, we have fallen away, we're not where we're supposed to be. Uh, We need to recognize that if we are in God's hand, nothing can snatch us out. That Jesus is pulling us into himself. Another word from Jesus, this is from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That's who Jesus is towards you. He is gentle and humble in heart. It is his desire to give his love, his compassion, his kindness to you. And and, uh, he says, all of you may enter your rest, enter into my rest under one condition, The only thing that is required of us, according to these verses, is that you come. It's the only thing. Jesus is there reaching out the hand, reaching out his hand, and the only thing required of us is to simply to grab on, is to to come. So to press on simply means to keep coming in to God's care. Now, that's so simple, but how oftentimes do we neglect to do that? We try to do it in our own strength. We try to muster up our own abilities, and, and we grow weary, and we're tired, and we're frustrated, and, it, and the burden ought not to rest on our shoulders. Jesus says, lay the burden down. Come to me. And so part of what it means to press on is to simply to reaffirm God's care in our lives, to come to him and to enter into his rest. That's point number two. Now, point number three is pressing on means that we develop a short-term memory about the past. A short-term memory about the past. 
You know, I, I use that term, short-term memory, and what comes to mind right away for, for me is uh, those that participate in sports and athletics. I always tell Dawson, uh, uh, my son, uh, when he plays sports, you've got to have a short-term memory. And I get that. I, I, I hear announcers and coaches say that. Uh, you've got to have a short-term memory because, you know, baseball players, they can't think of their last at-bat when they struck out. And basketball players can't uh, remember the last time they shot and they missed or they'll be afraid to shoot the next basket. Shoot or shoot, right? And, uh, and so they say, you've got to have a short-term memory. And when it comes to, to certain things in our lives spiritually, we need to have a short-term memory. Paul says, verse uh, 13, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, forgetting what is behind. In fact, that, what he, that little phrase that uh, prefaces this point says, but one thing I do, it's actually just one word in the Greek. Uh, we kind of smooth it out in the English translations. Really, the only thing that needs to be there if we're to translate it literally is one thing. It's like Paul says, one thing, one thing. Uh, forget what is behind. And Matt, that may be the one thing you need to hear today. Forget what is behind. You see, we can get so bogged down in what has happened to us that it holds us back from pressing on. We can't stop replaying the hurtful thing that was said to us or the hurtful thing that we said that we wish we wouldn't have said. And we have that tragedy, that disappointment, that frustration running through our minds. We have that past sin, the past failure, that, that, that past defeat. And these things are so hurtful. What would it be like if we could lay all of that down at the foot of the cross? There's a classic book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory for the Christian life. In fact, it's the most, uh, it's the, it's the book besides the Bible that's been published more often than anything else that's ever been in print. Pil Pilgrim's Progress is a classic. And, uh, and John Bunyan, the, the author, uh, in his allegory, it's not hard to figure out what he's talking about. So the main character, his name is Christian. And Christian is going to the celestial city. And on his way uh, to the celestial city, uh, he's carrying this heavy burden on his back. And then as he's on his way, he comes to a place where he meets God, and it says that the burden falls off his back and begins to run down the hill until it falls into an abyss where it can't be seen anymore. And that's a picture of the Christian life. That when we come to Jesus, a burden falls off. But how often, even though, Jesus, even though we have given Jesus our sins and our hurts and everything else, are we tempted to then pick that back up and put it on our shoulders? And, and, and this passage is challenging us to say one thing, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Micah 7.19 says, he will cast all your sins into the bottom of the sea. I, lo I love that image. I've thought about this. What if you were flown to a secret place in the world? You were blindfolded, so, so, uh, flown to a place in the world, and uh, uh, Micah 7, 19. 
All right, I, I just saw someone asking for the reference. Uh, <laughs> and so you were, uh, you were flown to a secret place in the world and, and uh, boarded a ship, and uh, you're blindfolded. You, uh, you get out on the, into the middle of the ocean on this ship, and uh, finally the blindfold is taken off, and you're given a quarter and uh, told to flip the quarter into the ocean. And then you're blindfolded again, put on a helicopter, and flown to your home. Now you get home... And you said, okay, now your objective is to find the quarter. You don't know what ocean you were in. You don't know what part of the world you were in. But you've got to find that quarter. You're not finding the quarter, right? It's lost at sea. And that's the image that is given to us of our sins. They've been hurled into the depths of the ocean. And they are never to be found again. That's the way that God looks at our Uh, looks at the sins that he has washed away. And so we ought to let go of them. Forget what what has happened in the past and strain towards what is ahead. We lay aside our burdens. We cast them in the ocean. And then even in our daily lives, like Hebrews challenges us to continue to do the same thing. Uh, he's, uh, Hebrews says 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, the sin in our lives, there's no reason that we keep hanging on to it. When I ran the, I, 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 for some reason, I keep having these illustrations about the LA Marathon. Uh, but uh, when I ran the LA Marathon, I was running beside a guy who was running in army fatigues and a backpack. And I thought, man, this is hard enough the way it is. He got to run in army fatigues and a backpack. I asked him how much weight he had in the backpack. He was carrying 25 pounds on his back. It's like, geez, that's great. I, I don't have any desire to do that. And the same thing for us. Why are we carrying around things that Jesus has said, they're in the rearview mirror. They're lost. Let us, uh, let us cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and forgetting what has happened in the past, both the negatives and perhaps even the positives as well. Sometimes we need to f- not to forget in the sense of that we don't give God glory or don't give God praise for it, but I've known some Christians that all they have in their Christian life is a conversion story. They're like, come on, press on. There's so much more. Or they keep... Uh, coming back to this one incident that happened, which is great. Praise the Lord. But press on, forgetting what is behind. And then lastly, we need to have a sustained mindfulness of eternity. That's point number four. So all these have, uh, have S's in them. One, we have a sober assessment of where we are spiritually. Two, we have a strong grasp on Jesus' grasp of us. Third, we have a short-term memory about the past. And now lastly, we have a sustained mindfulness of eternity. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, if the goal of our lives is to know Jesus, it will finally be... uh, uh, fulfilled will we'll reach its climax when we enter into heaven and we see him face to face. And the Bible is very clear. In fact, I think we, uh, many of us, unless we suppress this thought, we kind of intuitively know that there is more than this life, that there is an eternity 
coming. And the Bible is clear that that is the case. That for all eternity, those that trust in Jesus will live in the glories of heaven, and those who reject God in their lives will uh, suffer the agonies of hell. There is an eternity coming. I had a conversation with a young man this week who uh, we got talking about spiritual things, and he says, I don't believe in God. I don't think there's anything more than what we see right here. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, kind of jokingly, but not really, uh, I said, you know what? If you're right, I'll get laid six feet under one day and I'll be eaten by worms. But if, but if I'm right, you're in for a rude awakening. And we laughed about that. But that's the truth. Eternity ought to, be, ought to be influence how we live our lives and how we think about everything. I have wondered if we got, what would change us more? If we got in a vision of heaven for five minutes and saw the glories of heaven, how that would change our lives forever. Or if we got a vision for hell for five minutes and how that would change our lives forever. Jonathan Edwards uh, once said, he gave several resolutions. He said, resolved to endeavor to my utmost to act as I think I should, uh, I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and hell's torments. And I encourage you, to the best of your ability, muster up all the imagination that you can, that you can uh, get and, uh, and spend... 20 minutes in heaven, in your mind, imagining the glories of heaven, and spend 20 minutes in the agonies of hell and hell's torments. And, uh, and we ought to live with a, with a sustained mindfulness of eternity. Because this earth is, this lifetime is a flash in the pan. We ought to live for what will last forever, for eternity. This is the message on pressing on, to press on to know Jesus in whatever is going on in our lives. But I want to just close today's message by transitioning us into communion, because I was thinking about Jesus' desire to press on. Surely the time where he had the most difficulty, when when he was uh, tempted to give up, to turn away, might have been the night he was betrayed when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed. Remember the prayer that he offered when he is in the garden? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. You see, to me, when I read that prayer, there is a, a little sense that Jesus is, is trying to draw up strength to press on. I'm sure that he was exhausted. You know, even the disciples that he had with him uh, kept, uh, they were off on the side while he prayed and they kept falling asleep and he kept waking them up and saying, wake up, wake up and, and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And in other words, he's saying, you got to wake up and pray so you can press on. And, sh- and, and they didn't. 
They kept falling asleep and they did not pray and they fell into temptation. But Jesus was diligent to pray even though he was exhausted and even though he was troubled. See, we know he's troubled because his sweat became like drops of blood. And as he prayed, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And so he pressed on because he desired for the will of God to be done in, our, in uh, his life. Hebrews has an interesting verse where it says, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What do you think the joy is that was set before him that he went to the cross? Because, man, that's, that's an interesting thing that he was motivated by joy to endure that horrific death. Well, it was probably the joy of being able to please his heavenly Father. But it was also the joy of being able to forgive us our sins that we could have a relationship with him. You see, as we press on, those are the, those are the motivations that are in our own heart. We long to be able to please our Heavenly Father and we long to be able to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus to experience all the love that God has for us. So even as we take communion this morning, it is an opportunity for us to press on. It is an opportunity to take sober assessment of where we're at spiritually. It's an opportunity to to consider the strong grasp that God has on you. It's an opportunity for you to lay your burdens at the cross and to leave them there, to forget what is behind. And it's an opportunity for you to ponder for a moment eternity and that there is more to this life than just what we see around us. And so this is the... I have two applications for us today before we take uh, communion. Application number one is to ask yourself, how could you press on this week? In other words, how could you pick up the pace a little bit? How could you run with a little uh, bit more fervency to seek after God and to, and to uh, grow in your relationship with him? And then application number two, application number one is inward. Now op- application number two is outward. How could you encourage someone else to press on? You know, we talked about how someone in the stand yells, uh, uh, yells out, hey, I see you, keep going. Uh, who could we do that for this week? Maybe someone we haven't seen for a while. Maybe someone that we know is growing discouraged. How could you encourage them to press on? The word press on that's used twice in here in this passage, and this is my last observation from the text, but I've saved this to the end because I thought this was fantastic. Uh, the word, the Greek word that's used for press on was used earlier in the passage when Paul was giving his resume, so to speak. And, and it, it's the word that we translate earlier in chapter 3 as persecute. Paul said, as for zeal, persecuting the church. It's the same word. I think that is so interesting 
uh, because think about this for a moment. Paul is saying, I used to chase down Christians to put them to death, and now I'm chasing down God to find life. That's what it means to press on, to chase down God so that we might find life. And that's what Jesus has for us. That's the joy that was set before us, that we might have life with him. And Jesus doesn't offer us just any old life, like the life that we see all around us right now. Jesus offers us eternal life. Life to the full, he says. A life that is lived with him. That's the best life possible. When we lay aside the burdens and we experience all of his joy and his peace, that's what we're pressing on towards. To experience, to run after Jesus so that we might have life. And that's what we celebrate here as we take communion together. Because this is a celebration of the fact that Jesus died so that we might have life. If uh, anyone needs communion elements, hold up your hand. Keep it held up. The ushers will come by and give you a little cup. We don't pass around the communion elements uh, since the pandemic started. And so where we're at right now is these little prepackaged things. So keep, keep uh, your hands raised. And uh, Glenn or Chuck will come around. And um, we have a couple here and a couple. And... Uh, a wonderful time just for us to uh, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Um, what we have here is a simple little wafer, a little rice wafer, I guess. And, uh, and so the, the wafer itself is not what's most valuable. It's what it represents. It represents Jesus' body. And the juice is grape juice, and what it represents is Jesus' blood. And what Jesus' body and blood represent are his love for us. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we turn our hearts to you now, as we prepare to take this uh, communion together, we pray that you would fill this sanctuary with your spirit. That in the quietness of this sanctuary and these moments, that we would be able to find communion with you, that we would fellowship with your spirit, that you would touch us with your love and remind us of how much you care for us and how you want to be in our lives. God, I thank you for each person that's here right now. They're here because you want them here. They're here to receive a word from you. And God, as we bow our heads and Close our eyes in prayer. We pray that you would come now and speak to us.
I invite you to take the wafer into your fingers and hear the word of God. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. And now with the cup, God's word goes on to say, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. The passage closes by saying, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And God, we thank you that we are able to participate in that joy. Paul talked about earlier in the passage, I want to uh, know the fellowship of sharing in your suffering. And surely that's part of it, that, that we share in your suffering is that our sins have been forgiven and that we have been washed clean and now we have a relationship with you. God, as we sing this final song, we pray that you, we would be able to worship you from the heart and to give you the praise and the worship that you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this final song, we'll also have our prayer counselors here at the uh, front of the sanctuary. And if you want to come and to receive prayer, I encourage you to come and pray about anything that's on your heart. Maybe you don't even know what's on your heart. You just know you want to have someone pray for you, and that's, and that's fine. I encourage you to uh, come and to receive prayer. Let's stand as we sing this final song together.